welcome to the City Point Church podcast. Thanks for joining us. Every day is an opportunity to take hold of. So we hope this message inspires you and builds your faith, that it helps you have more of a God perspective for your day. Enjoy. We are here to preach the Word of God as we close out this theme next week of a ripple effect. And all of our lives have a ripple effect whether that's a good ripple effect or a poor ripple effect. And uh, so this morning, I, I want to continue on that theme. Uh, a few weeks ago, my granddaughter, my eldest granddaughter, Lanny, uh, celebrated her third birthday party. And, uh, and so we're going to go off-site to have the party. And so I need to get to my, my, daughter, my daughter's house and my son-in-law's house, uh, Jesse and Sophie, early Saturday morning, get together everything to take to the park to set up the party. And as I entered in through the front door there, my little grandson, Miller, one years of age, came running down the hall, gave Moose, that's my name, Moose, a great big hug. And, uh, and then I walked into the living room with him and uh, the atmosphere was tense. Like you cut the atmosphere with a knife. That something had gone down in this household. And as I looked over to, at Lenny, she was sitting on her dad's lap there. And as I got a little bit closer, as I just saw this stream of tears just coming down her cheeks. She obviously did not want any part of Moose in that moment there. And so I went over to my daughter Sophie and said, Sophie, what, what's gone down here? This is tough environment for me to walk into on a Saturday morning. And she said these words. She said, you know what, Dad? There's always consequences to disobedience. She didn't need to say anything else to that. But I just thought to myself, if Moose had only been there five minutes earlier, maybe I could have been there to mediate on behalf Maybe I could have interceded for Lenny to her father in heaven and also her natural dad is that we might be in a much better situation and environment, but we have found in life that obedience and disobedience has consequences. And so the title of my message is this, making the invisible visible. I have found that obedience makes those things which are invisible in our lives Visible. Let me explain that. Obedience makes our faith visible to the world around about us. Is that obedience makes our trust in God visible to those around about us. So when you and I walk in a place of obedience, it makes our faith visible. It makes our trust visible to the world around about us. This year, more than any other year, I've spent more time. In, uh, in Jesus' great message, the Sermon on the Mount, I think most of my messages have sort of come out of some revelation, out of that greatest sermon. You might think today is going to be a great message, but that message 2,000 years ago, it was phenomenal. And as Jesus is closing out this great Sermon on the Mount, is that he, he draws a line in the sand as to those who will inherit the kingdom of God and those that will not inherit the kingdom of God. And he closes out this great sermon with four contrasting pairs. He, he contrasts the first pair is, uh, is a path. He said that there's a narrow path and there is a wide path. Would you choose the narrow path because it leads to life, but the broad path will lead to destruction? Then he gives two contrasting pairs of, of trees that there is a tree that would bear good fruit and there was a tree that would bear bad fruit. Be a tree that bears good fruit. Then he goes on, there's two confessions. Is that we can all know his name as Lord and Lord, 
but there is a difference from knowing his name to executing the will of the Father. Would you, your confession not just be that you know him, but you actually do the will of the Father? And the last contrasting period he gets to is, the, is how we build our lives. So we can build our lives upon the rock or upon the sand. Therefore, would you build your life upon the rock that God has you and I designed upon? And in Luke 6, verse 46, Jesus says these words. He says, well, why do you call me Lord, Lord? And do not do the things which I say. Oh, I'll drop the mic right now, go home. Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house or building a life who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. Is it here Jesus gives you and I a great, the great Christian progression, the great Spiritual progression in life. If you want to grow in your relationship with God, this is progression. He says, whoever comes to me, that there must be a coming of all humanity into the relationship with God, but that's not enough. He then goes on, whoever comes to me and hears my sayings. And so God wants us to enter into a relationship and that we would know his voice and that he would know our voice. Jesus said that his sheep would know his voice. But that, that's not enough. It's not enough just to come to him and hear his voice. The, the third component of this is that we would actually do what God asks us to do, that we would walk in a place of obedience, that we'd come boldly into the throne room of grace. We'd hear the voice of God, and then we would have movement to our lives and to our feet to go and execute what God has asked you and I to do, to walk in this place of obedience, and then the invisible things of our life become visible to the world around about us. I see all the way throughout the Word of God is that God blesses those that walk in a place of obedience and there's times of unfruitfulness and unproductivity when you and I walk in disobedience is that God does not view our lives in terms of good and bad. That you were good today, so I reward you. You were bad today, therefore I'm going to punish. No, God does not view our lives in terms of good and bad. He views our lives in terms of life and death. Not good and bad, life and death. Is it Jesus says, God says, I have set before you life and death. And I love that he even gives us the answer in the next passage of scripture. It's like you've got multiple choice. Am I going to choose life or death? He says, therefore, choose life. He's given us the answer that you and your descendants may be blessed. All the way through the word of God, when Nations, the nation of Israel was in a, a time of obedience or as individuals is that God's hand of favor and blessing was upon them. And as soon as they came to a place of disobedience, as God's hand was retracted, is that Jesus steps foot on the planet and he starts calling humanity, saying, would you follow me? There, there is something about you and I laying down our lives and following after him. Is it not long after Jesus finds himself at a wedding? They run out of wine at the wedding and his mum says these words to the servants, whatever he says to do, just do it. What a way to live life. Well, whatever Jesus asks you and I to do, would we just do it? Is that Paul steps on the scene and says, would you imitate me? Because I imitate him. James says it like this, just don't be a hearer of the word, but be a doer of the word. I found the days in which we live is that obedience has a bad rap. As you mention the word obedience to your kids, 
they go kicking and screaming. You mention obedience to an adult and you and I go running in the opposite direction. It's, it's got a bad rap. As soon as we mention it, what, why? Because we have, this, we have this thought process and pattern around obedience that say loss of control. It's a loss of power. It's a loss of dependence. It's now someone telling me what to do. No one's telling me what to do. No way, Henry. No way. I haven't got to this age in life for someone to tell me what to do. No way. It's not happening. And so it's got a bad rap in today's society and today's world, but godly obedience is the complete opposite. Because when we walk in this place of obedience, it shows us the true nature, the character of God, the love that you and I would have for God, the, the, the faith, the loyalty, the compassion, the, 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 the peace that he has over our lives when you and I walk in this place of godly obedience. So, so what is godly obedience? Let me get a few thoughts for you. It's an act of response to the voice and to the word of God. It's not just hearing his, wo- his voice or reading the word of God. It's an act of response in relation to his word. That when we see in his word, for you and I to act in a certain way, it's an act of response that takes place. Secondly, it's the aligning of our will to God's will. Doing what God has asked us to do is that Jesus was at that time in the garden where he said, it's not about my will, Father, it's now about your will. It's the exchange of wills. My desires, my wills for his desires and his wills. And finally, it's when we completely surrender to his authority, when we completely. I have found as a parent and now as a grandparent is that partial obedience is disobedience. (laughs) I will, Rach. (laughs) Now that you've asked me to. <laughs> Partial obedience is disobedience. All throughout my teenage years, I walked in partial obedience. At times doing the right thing, at times doing the wrong thing. And I actually am continually walking in a place of disobedience. So it's when we completely surrender to his authority and base our decisions and actions not about it on our own wills and desires or someone else's opinion or what TikTok or social media is telling us. No, it's based upon the truth of the Word of God. Like, as much as God wants you and I to be obedient, I love it that He doesn't force it upon us. He's given to each and every one of us free will, is that we decide. We decide what we're going to respond to and not going to respond to. It's your choice and it's my choice. I love that God gives us that choice of free will. He does not impose upon it. But we know, I know the consequences when you and I walk in obedience that God's hand of favor and blessing is upon your life. A trial's gonna come, absolutely. They're, they're part of just growing. It's just part of life. But I love how God now sets out for us the boundaries and the consequences of how we're to live life. He, he, he said to to Adam and Eve in the garden, you can eat of any tree in the garden. Imagine how many thousands of trees they could eat from in that garden. But of that one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, don't eat of that one. As God sets out the boundaries in which we are to live life and then he gives the consequence. He said, because if you eat of that tree, you're gonna surely die. And so now he gives us the consequences of our actions. I love that about God. He doesn't force himself upon it, us to make choices and decisions, but he says, you know what? If you live according to this way and my word, 
is that there's boundaries there and their consequences will flow. You step outside of my word is that there, there are boundaries to operate in and there's consequences to living outside the truth of the word of God. And so when you and I walk in this place of obedience, can you imagine that invisible faith that's inside of you now becoming visible to the world around about us? I found that when God speaks to you and I, whether it's through his word as we read it or whether there's revelation that comes alive in our hearts is that God's voice to us is either very general in nature or it's very specific in nature. Is all the way throughout the word of God that there are general commands for all of us as sons and daughters of God. As Rach so beautifully put it, we are a family and there's general rules of behavior for every family member is that they apply to all of us. I can't go through the Word of God and say, well, I'm going to do that one or that one. That doesn't sound right. Cross that. No, no. We're going to execute all that God has. And there's times where God will come specifically to your life and ask you to walk in a place of obedience that he is asking directly of you. And so there's general obedience and then there's specific calls to obedience. But why, why is obedience so difficult? Why is it so, so challenging? I've got a couple of thoughts here of why just being obedient, naturally, spiritually, is so difficult. There, Number one, there is a cost associated with obedience. All the way throughout the Word of God, men and women, it's cost them something. For Abraham, it cost him his country. For Zacchaeus, it cost him a whole lot, lot of money. For Naam, it cost him his pride. That There is always a cost to be obedient, but the cost of being obedient to the Word of God far outweighs any loss you and I might suffer in that times. The, the next reason why it's so difficult is that in order to be walk in a place of godly obedience, we have to let go of every preconceived notion. Every bit of logic and understanding, because at times God will ask you and I to do something which just does not seem logical. And so when it comes to obedience, would you let go of everything you've got preconceived of this is how God moves and this is how God works? No, no, we, we let go of that and say, hey, God, you just move however you need to move because you're the creator of heaven and earth. And I'm just going to respond. And the third reason why obedience is so difficult is that there is a war that goes on inside of you and I on a daily basis. Ephesians talks about there's this great wrestle between our humanity and our spirit man. And there's this wrestle that continually takes place is that, is that our spirit man wants to walk in alignment with the will of God and the flesh just wants to run in the opposite direction to that. I want to read a passage of scripture, Romans chapter 7, is that Paul wrote the vast majority of the New Testament and inspired by the Holy Spirit, he puts pen to paper and he writes Romans chapter 7. Uh, the context of this chapter is that Paul has now been following Jesus 25 years years. That's what, has anyone been following Jesus longer than 25 years here? There's a whole bunch. Well done. That's so cool. And so maybe this passage will relate to you as I, it relates to me. And so he's following Jesus for 25 years. He pens most of the New Testament and he writes this about his life in verse 14. He says, I know that all God's commands are spiritual, but I'm not. 25 years of following Jesus and his first words are, I know all God's commands are spiritual, but I'm not. Isn't this also your experience? Yes, 
I am full of myself after all. I've spent a long time in sin's prison. What I don't understand about myself is that I decide one way, but then I act another. Doing things that I absolutely despise. 25 years of following Jesus and this is his tension. This is frustration in his life. So if I can't be figured, I trusted to figure out what is best for myself and then do it, it becomes obvious that God's command is necessary. But I need something more. For I know if the law, if I know the law but still can't keep it, and if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. Like, <laughs> is this anyone else's life? This is like this is like Mike Mulheron's story right there. I, I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it but I don't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. Decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. 20, 25 years of following Jesus. My decisions such as they are don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong deep within me and it gets the better of me every time. I don't have to read the time to read the rest of it. Go home, read the rest of Romans chapter. Good news comes is the answer to all these frustrations is found in the Word of God in relationship with Jesus Christ. But, but that's, that, that's us. It's so difficult to walk in a place of God obedience because we want to will something, we want to do something, but somehow the flesh takes over and we do something completely opposite. Would you and I come to this place of just submitting our lives to God? <laughs> Let's have this dynamic relationship with Jesus. It's this active response to His Word. And in this theme of a ripple effect, I, I want to have a look at the, the vertical ripple effect of our obedience. There's a vertical ripple effect of obedience and there's also a, a horizontal ripple effect of our obedience uh, where horizontally our obedience affects generations to come. Your obedience affects your family. Your obedience affects your church family here. Your obedience affects your next door neighbours and your work colleagues in the world around about you. But this morning, I want to look at the ripple effect vertically when you and I walk in a place of a place of obedience and the impact that has upon God and our relationship with him. My first thought is this, the ripple effect of this vertical impact of our obedience is that obedience is an act of worship. The theme in the Bible right through from the book of Genesis to Revelation is this, is that we love God by obeying his voice. John 14 says it very clearly, is that we love God, we love him by being obedient to the voice of God, is that our, our obedience is a place of worship, is an act of worship. Je Deuteronomy 30, I mentioned this earlier, verse 19, it says, I call heaven and earth as witnesses, witnesses today against you that I've set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live. Verse 20, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice and that you may cling to him for he is your life and the length of your days is that our obedience is a place of worship. It's an act of worship to God. Is obedience is a hallmark of our salvation, which should be. Obedience is our proof of, proof of love for him. Is that everything Jesus accomplished on the cross for you and I, the redemption, the relationship that he brought to you and I, is now outworked through you and I being obedient to the voice of God. Would you allow your obedience to be a place of worship to God? My second thought is that our obedience is a demonstration of our faith, is that obedience makes our invisible faith visible to the world around about us. 
James 2 and verse 18. It says, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? (laughs) Jesus said it in a different way. Whoever comes to me and hears my voice and does that, is it's not just about having faith, it's now adding works to our faith. Is that our, our relationship with God is not based upon doing, it's not based upon works, but works become evidence of our faith in God. Is you and I can have faith, but unless we actively use that faith, it's actually dead faith. And he goes on, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works? And by works, faith was made perfect. And by his works, faith was made perfect. As I read this just a number of weeks ago, I was stopped in my tracks. It is awesome that you and I have faith and God has given to each and every one of us a measure of faith. Is that you are not void of faith. You have faith. But here this verse says that you and I cannot just walk in a place of faith, we can walk in a place of perfect faith. Do you see that faith was working together with his works? They're not exclusive, they go together. And by works, faith was made perfect. As the Bible defines perfect faith as faith accompanied by action. Wow. If you want to walk in a new level of faith, Just put some action to your current faith. If you've got faith to reach out to your neighbour, just put some action to your faith. If your neighbour's in your prayer list to see salvation come upon them, why don't you add some natural action to that and find out where they're situated and located, mow their grass, take them a meal. They're going to a hospital appointment. Would you take them in your car? My next one neighbour, Pete's got to go in for surgery next Monday week. He found some cancer in his body. Like I was talking to him yesterday, Pete, I'm there. I'm there for you. If you need a lift to the hospital home, you just let me know. I'm, I'm there. I want to be a driver. He's like, oh, it's all good, mate. It's all good. Like, but at least I, I'm trying to put some faith to my action. It's like, I'm just not going to pray for him in my bedroom tonight. You know, for him, say, you know, peek next door five meters away, would you heal him? No, let, let's add some action to our faith there, and then our faith becomes perfect. Is that our obedience is the proof of the faith of God that lives in our heart. My third thought about this vertical impact our obedience has is that obedience is the key that unlocks God's promises. That there are thousands of thousands of promises in the Word of God. And when you and I walk in a place of obedience, it is that that unlocks the key, or has the key to unlock the promises of God. If you and I walk in a place of disobedience, is that God can't activate his promises over our lives. Now, I'm not trying to manipulate you today, I'm just trying to explain the word of God, is that obedience will unlock promises that are going to blow your mind. Let me read some of these promises that God has for you and I. Proverbs 16 and verse 20, God blesses those who obey him. Does anyone need some blessing? Now, I, I, do, I, I just need to start obeying. Psalm 7 and verse 10, he saves those who obey him. 
Psalm 33, the Lord watches over those who obey him. Psalm 37, the Lord takes care of those who obey him. 1 John 3, God gives us what we ask for because we obey God's commands. Proverbs 28, always obey the Lord and you will be happy. If there's any kids here today, always obey your parents and you will be happy. And for all the adults here, always obey your God and you will be happy. Proverbs 19, keep God's law and you will live longer. I'm getting older. I want to obey his law. I want to live a bit longer. Proverbs 34, those who obey him have all they need. Those who obey the Lord lack nothing good. Is when you and I walk in a place of obedience, it unlocks thousands and thousands and thousands of the promises of God. And my final thought is this, as the music team comes, is that obedience unlocks God's power. And this morning at the end of this thought, I'm going to open up the altar and the ministry team is going to come and pray because I believe in that miracles are going to take place today. Is that sicknesses are going to be made whole today. Mindsets that are broken in nature are going to make be whole today. Where ones are facing opposition in their finances is that miracles are going to come today. Well, where there might be giants and obstacles in front of your life, you're thinking, I can't navigate that right now. I've been believing that miracles are going to come. And so obedience unlocks God's power. Exodus 14 and verse 16 says this, God speaking to Moses. Moses is now leading millions of people, of Israelites, out of a place of bondage and captivity for 400 plus years. And now he, he finds himself at the edge of a Red Sea, this massive expanse of water. And he's got to lead these people through. There's an army that's following after them. And here's this conversation that God has with Moses in Exodus 14 and verse 16. He says to Moses, Moses, would you lift up your rod? Stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel will go on dry land through the midst of the sea. I have found that when God asks you and I to do something, it's it's always relatively simple. Moses, see that stick that's in your hand? Stretch it out over the sea. You and I could do that. He just says, take the stick that's in your hand, just reach it out of the sea. And what's going to happen when you do that? Something's going to happen and all these people are going to walk across on dry land. That, that's a really simple request, isn't it? The pressure comes now knowing there are millions, millions of people behind me that now see me going to reach out my stick thinking, what on earth is he doing? That's the pressure moment. But what God asks you and I to do is so simple. that There's no power in the stick, but there is great power in the obedience. <laughs> and he asks you and I to do something so simple. Moses, I'm gonna bring these people into a place of deliverance after 400 years. All you have to do is lift up the stick. That's simple. But how many times in my own life does God ask me to do something so simple that fear gets a grip of me? The opinion of others, the fear of failure. It just stops us. Five verses later, verse 21, I wonder what Moses is going to do in response to this simple instruction. Verse 21, it says, Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, 
And the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night and made the sea into dry land and the waters were divided. Wow. God says, Moses, take the stick, reach it out. Five, five verses. It's a matter of moments. He's reaching the stick over the sea. And nothing happens except the wind starts to blow. The waters didn't divide right there and there. That would have been spectacular. God says, I'm going to cause this wind to blow all night and it's going to separate the waters. Wow. Simply because the man took what was in his hand and simply said, you know what, God, if you just ask me to stretch it out, I'm going to stretch it out. I found this in life that extraordinary moves of God begin with ordinary acts of obedience. Extraordinary moves of God begin with ordinary acts of obedience. In five verses, Moses is saying yes to the voice of God. I, I wonder what you and I default position is when God asks something of us and to do something. I pray it would be a resounding yes within five verses that we're doing what God has asked us to do. Take that stick and reach it out. How cool would it be? I'm driving over the gateway bridge on the way home. I'm going to stick up, pick a stick up from the yard here. Imagine driving out over that gateway bridge. Next minute, Joel, you're just sticking out the stick out there, outside your truck this week, like, and waters apart, like, man. Through obedience. But I wonder if it's a resounding yes, or I wonder if our default position is, you know, when God speaks, it's a no. I, I can't do that. Or maybe your position might be this, and if this is you, I want to slap you in the face, so... When God asks you to do something, don't, don't say, let me pray about it. Literally, that, that's the stupidest prayer ever. When the Creator of heaven and earth asks you to do something and you reply back to Him, let me just pray about it. When the Creator of heaven and earth asks you to do something, just do it. Like, as Mary said, well, whatever He asks you to do, just do it. Don't pray about it. That's just, that's, I've done it because I'm stupid. I, I'm not going to change His mind. Because all I'm saying is, hey, let me pray about it because I really don't trust you. And I'm trusting you that you're going to change your opinion, your mind, because you know who I am. I can't. And please don't say, look, God, just let me process that. If God asks you to do something, don't go looking for understanding. I have found that understanding can wait, but obedience can't. I have found this in life. When you and I walk out and step out into a place of obedience, understanding then comes. But so many of us are on this other side of the miracle saying, God, just give me the understanding. Moses, imagine Moses having a conversation with God. God, well, okay, just let me know the whole dynamics, the physics of this, how it's going to take place. I'm going to reach out my stick over the waters and then what's going to happen? How's this water going to separate it? It's such a vast. You and I are trying to look for understanding where God doesn't need to give you and I understanding of what He's going to do. He's saying, would you just trust in me? Would you be obedient? And by the end of that next morning, they had a, Moses had a clear understanding of what took place. <laughs> 
Would you and I just walk in a place of understanding? Uh, you and I know, can know more about God through one simple act of obedience than a lifetime of Bible conversations. When you and I walk in a place of obedience, we, we find out the true nature, the identity of God, how He is so for us, rather than sitting around just talking about the Bible. Just do what He asks you to do and see what's going to take place. So right now, we're going to open up this altar. Let me give you a few, just a few of the miracles. I could talk for hours about when men and women walked in a place of obedience is that Moses stretches out a rod, this vast sea. It's a sea. It's not a stream. It's not a car park puddle I stepped into today. It's a sea and it parts as the wind blows all night. The next generational leader of Israel, Joshua, as he's now taking the children of Israel across another river, the Jordan River, into the promised land, is that God says to Joshua, Joshua, I want you to put your feet into the water. It's a time of flood. There is, a, there is this torrent just flowing down the, the Jordan River that day. And God speaks to Joshua and says, Joshua, when you step into the water, you're gonna see a place for a beer. If I was Joshua, I'd be like, hey God, why can't I be like Moses? Moses didn't have to step in the water. He just had to pick up a stick and put it, put it out. I'm putting my life in danger by stepping into this flooded river. Why do I have to get my shoes wet when He didn't? So you and I can come up with all the arguments we want. God, you moved like that before, but now you asked me to do something different. Yeah, yeah, that's God. He can do whatever He wants. And Joshua decides, you know what? I'm happy to get my feet wet. He steps inside of that flooded Jordan River and it immediately parts. <laughs> Children of Israel cross on over into dry land, in the promised land. Not long after that, they come to the most fortified city in the world, Jericho. God speaks to Joshua, gives him a command. Over the next seven days, I want you to do a lot of walking. I want you to walk around these city walls for six days, do one lap, but no one can say a word. On the seventh day, you're gonna walk around seven times at the end of that seventh lap. You're going to lift up a shout. How many of you and I would have the conversation, that's silly God, just let's do one lap. Let this thing be over, fall down. No, God gives very clear instruction. And Joshua and the people execute it perfectly. Imagine on day four, Joshua was saying to the people, you know what, we've done three days. Let's take a rest day. Let's go down and have a foot massage, a pedicure in preparation for the next three days. Imagine just breaking what God has asked to do. No, execute it perfectly. At the, shout, at the shout as it went up, the walls of the most fortified city came down. I, I wonder what obstacle, what barrier is in front of you right now. I, I wonder what fortified walls maybe in your thinking, your mindset today, what giants are on the other side of that. Today, I'm believing that miracles are gonna take place, that an obstacle is gonna part, that wall's gonna come down today. There, there's freedom in the name of Jesus. Or maybe you need a miracle of provision. There's so many provision miracles throughout the Word of God. There was a time where the prophet came into this house of a widow and she has two sons and the prophet asked her his story. And she said, well, the droughts had a hard impact upon us as, as a family. Is that all I have now is just a little bit of, bit of oil and a little bit of flour. I'm going to make a last meal. We're going to eat it and we're going to die. That's 
There's not a tomorrow for this family. The prophet says to her, well, go ahead and do what you've asked. Just go and make that meal. And she's walking to the kitchen to make the meal. He calls out to her, oh, when you made that meal, would you bring and share that meal with me first? If I was that woman, I would just want to punch the prophet in the face. Didn't you just hear? This is our last meal. I'm going to share it with my two sons and we're going to die. And now you're asking for a bit of our meal? He said, yeah, I'm asking for a bit of your meal. She makes the meal. She gives it to the prophet. He eats, they eat. And a miracle takes place as that jar of oil and that flour does not run dry. She's making meal after meal after meal after meal after meal after meal after meal until the flood breaks, the drought breaks and they go back to a place of normality. There's another widow. She has two sons. The creditors are coming to take her sons away. And the prophet comes into her house and asks the story. And she relays the story to him. The prophet says to her, well, what's in your house? Is there anything in your house that God can work on? And she searches and she considers what's in her house. And her immediate reply is this, I have nothing in my house. I have nothing in my house but this little jar of oil. The prophet says, that's enough. That's enough. Says to the sons, I want you to go and collect every vessel, every container. I want you to go to every Tupperware party that's happening in the village right now. I want you to buy every party, bring every container back here into this house. And as they get to the last container in the house, the prophet says to the, the, the widow, would you start pouring the oil? And as she starts pouring, it is container after container after container after container after container is filled until there is no more containers and the oil stops flowing. Wow. Peter's fished all night. He's a professional fisherman. He's a generational fisherman. He's fished all night. He's now cleaned his nets on the shore. Jesus comes along. They have a conversation. Jesus says to Peter, Peter, I want you to go and fish in a new location. I want you to launch out into the deep. I want you to throw your net on the other side of the boat. Peter's like, you know what? We fished all night, Jesus. We caught nothing. Peter's saying, you know what? I'm a professional fisherman. You're a miracle worker. There's no fish out there. Just launch out in the deep. Peter says these words, nevertheless, at your word. Wow. It's not enough just to come to him. It's not enough just to hear his voice. We're going to do what he says. Nevertheless, at your word, I'm going to go out. Next minute, he's calling his partners. We're sinking. There's so many fish in this net. Would you come and help us and rescue us? Because we're in a place of overflow and a place of abundance. Today, if you need a, a miracle in your finances, in your provision, maybe God is just asking you to adjust your steps of obedience in different areas. I'm gonna pray for you today. As I've gone through these miracles, they're all pretty simple. Peter, just take the boat out again. Earlier than expected, but just take it out. What do you have in your house? I just have this little bit here. And God does a miracle out of our place of obedience. Joshua would just step into the water. But maybe you need a miracle in your body today. There were, Jesus was preaching the temple one time and he noticed a man that had a withered right hand. I don't know how long it had been withered. He wasn't born with this condition. It was over a period of time that his hand became unproductive. Something happened. And Jesus looks at this man in a setting just like this and he says, would you please stand to your feet? 
And he says to this man, I want you to stretch out your hand. And so he asks this man to do something that is impossible for him to do. Because he has not stretched out his hand for a long period of time. But out of a place of obedience, this man does something that is impossible with everything inside of him. He starts to stretch out his hand and a miracle comes. There was a general of an army by the name of Nahum, Syrian general. His body is covered in leprosy. He finds himself in Israel and the prophet says to him, there's an answer to your leprosy. You just need to go and dunk in this Jordan River seven times. And when you come out the seventh time, your leprosy will be healed. Nahum's like, no way. There is no way I'm dipping into this filthy Jordan River. Can you give me permission to go back to one of my country's rivers? They're much cleaner. I'm very happy to dip in those rivers seven times. The prophet said, no, no, no. You need to dip in this river, this Jordan River, seven times. Nahum finally comes to his senses. He eliminates pride in his life and he starts dipping in the dirty Jordan River seven times. On the seventh time coming out, he looks down and leprosy is totally gone. Every one of these miracles, every one of these extraordinary moves of God began with an ordinary act of obedience. You've got a stick, stretch it out. You've got a withered hand, stretch it out. You've got a little bit in your house, release it to God. You've got an obstacle inside of you, in front of you, just do what God asks you to do. And in every situation, as I go through the Word of God, probably the only one that I was like, wow, how did he even do that, was Abraham and Isaac. Taking his son to a mountaintop to put a knife to him and kill him. That, that's like the only one I've wrestled with thinking, would I do that? We're all able to stretch out. We're all able to give something. We're all able to do what God asks us to do. It's not impossible. Every one of those things are possible. So I'd love us to stand to our feet this morning.